folks. XQ quality, better than HQ, but no one knows what the X stands for, except we're extremely good. <clears throat> Here we go. Welcome to episode 199 of Channel Massive. 199. My gosh. Yeah, we've come so far, Mark. We have. And and just to think, our our 200th podcast will be next week. Yeah, we that's don't true. Have it, we don't have an elaborate plan to alienate our entire listener base. <laughs> We've decided there's only so many times you can do that. Right? <laughs> and survive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we had the best of intentions. Yeah. <laughs> so all that said, before we even get to episode 200, we've got a great episode for you right here in number 199. We've got Intergeddon first up with a nice little selection of items that we'll be going through. They're not categorized this time like they have been the last couple of weeks, but there's just enough to be a meaty offering then we're going to get into some listener comments, talk about what we've been playing, maybe some general geekery and a roundtable discussion on MMORPGs, losing the whole MMO aspect of right. the genre, which I think is it's a good point. It's something that we've talked about directly and tangentially previous on the show. There's a really good blog about it that Mark and I would like to talk about, see if other people out there feel similarly. And it's funny, too, because I remember, you know, when we first started this podcast, we were talking about, you know, where's the uh, RPG in an MMORPG? And now we're saying, where's the MMO in MMORPG? So it's come full circle. It sure has. But before we get to any of that other stuff, first up in the intergeton, we, of course, have to talk about Diablo 3, which just came out a couple of days ago. And in spite of the best intentions and planning and delays the launch has not gone smoothly even with the closed beta or even with the beta that occurred yeah I think one or two million people such has not been the case for the game this week as it has moved into public launch yeah it's like it's it's amazing because you know they did have a lot of time to prepare for it but it's just such a beastly I mean, the number of users or, you know, people who have bought this, I, I've been trying to find a number to see, you know, what the current sales are at, mm -hmm. but I, I just can't imagine that, um, you can prepare for something this gigantic. <laughs> you are not prepared as Illidan says. Yeah. As Illidan would say, you might think you are, but you are not in fact prepared. So well, a lot of this problem is tied back to Blizzard's mandate that you have to be connected to the internet to play this game. That's, that's correct. Why the launch hasn't gone well is because in the first couple of days, people couldn't get to battle.net to enter their game key. They couldn't yeah. connect the system to run the game. Yeah, and there's a lot of angst around that in particular, people saying, I don't want to pay for a game that I have to be online for to play single player, but 
and I'm not trying to defend Blizzard in this, but I think it's just the reality of the situation. How else can they defend against people hacking their characters if they're not constantly online? Because you've seen earlier this evening when you played how seamless it is to go from single to multiplayer, right? So if you're playing if you're playing the game and you're just going to play it as single player, and then the first time you decide to play multiplayer, if you were able to, you know, run something that modified your character's level or stats or items, uh, you know, locally, and then you checked into multiplayer with that, how how would that not be easily exploited? Versus if it's constantly, you know, checking out stuff with the um, game server, there's constantly like some kind of synchronization occurring, which we know there is, you can't really cheat. So I think it's almost more of an anti... I, certainly it, it solves a piracy problem, but it's also a big time about anti-cheating, uh, which is you know a huge issue. That's definitely for sure. And inevitably this is going to happen for Diablo 3. It's so anticipated. It's been 12 years since the previous sequel right. came out, but is Diablo 2 <clears throat> not the expansion pack? And there's just everybody wants to play this game. Especially yeah. right on opening week. I mean, our one of our previous co-hosts, Ryan, I believe he's taking the whole week off to play. Yeah, I think he's got to because he's already at level 40 in nightmare mode. So, I mean, a lot of people I know are at like level 10. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like me. Um, you know, my the first night it launched, I I had to help out a friend with a problem he had with a server. By the time I got you know, to log in, I ran into one of the three outages that they took while they were quickly changing the code due to some serious issues with the networking. And so I was locked out for like two hours or something like that. So, you know, it's been it's been kind of uh kind of tough for those of us who couldn't take the whole week off, but uh I don't know. I think it's pretty cool. It's a good game. Well and also something that's been delayed as part of these technical difficulties is the potentially controversial real money auction house. Right, right. Which is, oh, I was going to say, I think that's another reason it has to have the heavy anti-cheating. Because it is a real um, you know, real money auction house, if you could hack the client so that when you're offline and then checked into online mode, you suddenly had you know some very expensive items to sell, you know, it, it would be, uh, you know, it would crush the 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 market the economy you know basically mm -hmm. so and it would and it's another incentive to cheat beyond just having bragging rights that there's actually money on on the line so i think they're a victim of their own really good plan <laughs> you know to monitor yeah. and they've come out to apologize for it and explain yeah what's going on and that they're working as best as they can to smooth things out iron them out and ensure that everybody gets a positive experience have the downtimes been significant? Well, as far as I know, I think there's been three times that they've taken the servers down uh, since it launched. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I, I was when we were when I knew we were going to talk about this. I was trying to find ridiculous forum posts, and I found quite a few, but none really worth reading. But just paraphrasing, you know, a lot of people were saying this. This is something I can't take. How do I get my money back for this piece of crap? And that's, you know, they haven't even actually played the game. They're just mad that they weren't able to play because of the the uh, initial outages. But I don't think any of the outages have been beyond three hours. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, you know, and I think there's been three of them. While they, again, they had to, they worked on some code changes, 
got the code changed and then you know mm-hmm. pushed out and they and the last one was definitely all network because I didn't get a client update but there was this crazy obscure problem that would occur that if you hired a templar and if you tried to equip a shield it would cause the templar on your um local client to get out of sync with the network um whatever the network was tracking for bottleneck which you know, again, was a, is an issue with what do you really have or not? Is there some way you could, like, duplicate shields or something like that if you dropped mm-hmm. it in and pulled it out? So they had to make a change. But, again, it was all done on Battle.net because when the servers came back online, there was no push to, you know, client push update like we're so used to seeing with MMOs. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's been horrible. It's not like it's been unavailable since launch or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And, Way more hours of playable time than unplayable time, but the forum angst has been hilarious. So, you know, the apology seemed sincere. I mean, they just said, hey, we had no idea. Uh, And usually I'm really snarky when I read these, but I I just think, you know, it's just there's a lot more people that were waiting for Diablo than, say, you know, the latest MMO release. You know, I mean, it's just Mm -hmm. it's a it's a. Just a, it's a, it's a monstrous thing. So, <laughs> yeah, pretty cool though that they. I think they've got it kind of on track now. So we'll see. But also monstrous is the snowballing seriousness of Thirty Eight Studios's uh, future longevity in terms of that is to say oh their my ability gosh, to stay yeah. in business. Yeah, and I I didn't know how they did that with their funding. I had assumed that they, you know, had just typical VC funding, but they actually had this economic um incentive to from the what is it the economic uh I remember, economic development corp company corp something like that. I yeah. don't know. So they had this they they relocated their offices from Boston to Rhode Island. Um, because they had the potential to pull in $75 million worth of funding from the Rhode Island Economic Development Company or Corp or whatever, and they went for it, and they got a lot of money. And, you know, this is like the state taxpayers' dollars here invested in them. And, uh, you know, they came out with, um, oh, what is it, the Amular, what's the Kingdom of Amular? Kingdoms of Amular, <laughs> the, their single-player role-playing game. Yeah, and you know it got some critical acclaim. Sold over four hundred thousand. Was it four hundred fifty-six thousand copies or something like that? Yeah, which isn't and, great. It isn't like oh my gosh, but it's not bad either. Yeah, I mean it's still you know pretty darn decent money. Um, and yet they went to um, pay pay them uh, pay back their for one of their payments, and it was a million plus dollar check, and. The EDC rejected it because they knew it was going to bounce. And this has caused all kinds of crazy stuff, including Kurt Schilling appealing to the state governor and the EDC and a whole bunch of other state officials. Um, hey, you know, um, how about you give us more money so we can turn this around? <laughs> uh, which the uh, response was uh, reported as being similar to a deer in the headlights. And the yeah. state officials were just frozen in shock and horror um, while they try to figure out what is the responsible thing to do for the taxpayers of dollars. Do you continue to put money into this? Do you beat a dead horse? Is it a dead horse? Can it be turned around? 
Um, interestingly enough, what is possible is if they go under, all their intellectual um, properties go to the state of Rhode Island. So wouldn't that be cool if there was a new power in game development? <laughs> <laughs> the sleepy little state of Rhode Island becomes a giant and, you know, competes head to head. Because of its bulletproof kingdoms of Amalur intellectual right. property. Right. That'd be like, I don't know, New Mexico owning the rights to Game of Thrones. Yeah. It just it boggles so the mind. Yeah. Right. So... I mean, I've I've kind of condensed all the news that that I know about. Yeah, that it. was a good job. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's for me, it's a shock. I didn't realize Thirty Eight Studios was in that much trouble. I didn't know they'd burn through that much money. Um, I I don't know. I don't even know what to say. I I I hate to see that for the state of Rhode Island. I hate to see it for Kurt Schilling. I hate to see it for the employees of Thirty Eight Studios. Um. You know, I hope they can make it work out somehow. Maybe it's time to go with a traditional, um, you know, VC round of funding or something, if anyone will have them. But this definitely yeah. can't look very good, despite no. the fact that the single-player Kingdom of Amular, you know, at least they released a game, and it didn't take forever, and it got critical acclaim, and I thought the beta was fun. I just Or the demo was fun. I just never got around to buying it and playing it, because there were so yeah. many other things coming out at the time. But um, it was not... You know, it was definitely, you know, quality game, so it's kind of baffling. I know they have that other that other project though too, right? Project Copernicus or whatever. Yeah, their MMO sit in the set in the same world as Kingdoms of Amalur. So it's possible that that could be, you know, a giant boondoggle that sucked all the resources out of them. Um I don't know. It's it's really a bummer. And they had really aggressive profit expectations like expecting to rake in four billion or something annually from the u.s and like a billion from europe good god on an annual basis something ridiculous i i i'm pretty sure it was billions i might have flip-flopped the numbers of what came from north america versus europe but it's just like really you Guys, think that you're going to make that much money on an MMO in a very competitive, oh yeah, landscape where only a couple. I don't even know how you could. Yeah, that's crazy talk there. That's crazy town. Yeah, all Rhode Island, unfortunately. Well, even though it's a state, but you know, yeah, uh, yeah it's pretty wild. I. I hope everyone involved the best. I hope they sort it out and make it work. Because, like I say, at least they did release a product that was pretty good. Yeah, and it shows that they've got the skills and the vision to make yeah. people can be excited about. But, I don't know, the MMO is a much more, a, a much taller order. Well, and, you know, we're seeing Bioware, even with all everything they brought to bear on um, Star Wars Old Republic, I mean, it's... You know, players are sloughing off at a pretty significant rate. Four hundred thousand last time yeah. you on it, um, and four hundred thousand is a huge chunk of the player base. Um, so, you know, I I don't think there's any more room for AAA MMOs yeah. anymore. I think they're all going to have to be free to play from the get go. I mean, I'm sure that World of Warcraft and Star Wars Old Republic can be converted to free to play, but I don't 
think even Blizzard is going to try anymore. I I know they they that's supposed to be the rumor, but I got to just look. Yeah, Titan's got to be free to play. It's got to be. You have got to look at the world and see. You have to look at the success of the free to plays or the way yeah. that uh, ArenaNet's been able to do things with Guild Wars, which is kind of totally different, but it's been very successful for them. To the point where they can, you know, kind of do what they want to do. So yeah, yeah. The, the I don't know if they're just an anomaly. Why other people haven't jumped on and used the same model? But clearly, it can work for somebody out there. Yeah. And I do want to correct what I said earlier. I did find the numbers uh, from a story on Turn210.com. The original target revenue for Copernicus, the Amalur MMO, was 3.2 billion in net revenue in North America and 1.6 billion from Western Europe. Well, so there's your problem. Whoever did that, the analyst that came up with that needs to go back to school. Yeah. And then this document that also cited those numbers that did say that this potential investment on Rhode Island's behalf would be quote unquote, highly speculative and inherently risky. (laughs) (laughs) But Hey, then they cite, that World of Warcraft is out there, but there's been other competitors that have come out and they've been quote unquote commercially successful. Yeah, that's true. They've been successful, but not to that number. That's a crazy number. Yeah. So I don't think if Star Wars Old Republic couldn't do it from Bioware, I don't think anybody can. No. And speaking of Kingdoms of Amalur, Reckoning, <laughs> single player game, another game that is meant to subsidize an MMO is finally getting into beta mode, and that would be Project Dust by 14. Oh, yeah. Now, that's Which the EVE the, Online yeah. on-the-ground contract Starship Trooper. Trooper. Yeah. So it's not exactly like Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning, which I believe takes in a totally different time window than the MMO is going to take place in. But it does tie together a, a single-player or a multiplayer experience with an MMO as I recall, I think the the people up in the big ships, the spreadsheet operators, can yeah. hire you to take on little assignments on the ground, either in ships or on planets, and then somebody else with the other game, with Project Dust or Dust 514, they'll go out and actually do that from a first-person perspective, and the spoils of that quest will be returned to the EVE Online player. That's pretty cool. It's so pretty, that'll be very yeah. it'll be very similar in in Star Wars Old Republic. You can send your companions off on these missions, and as you get in higher levels, they start to take a lot longer, like thirty minutes sometimes before they come back with success or failure. And it'd be kind of similar to that. You know, you pay this person, you hope everything works out, and I think that's cool. It's really cool, and it's a great way of solving an ongoing issue that Eve Online has had, and that it's got such a specialized type of gameplay and such a specialized audience that it's serving. And meanwhile, Dust 514 caters to a totally different genre and potentially a totally different group of video game fans. So it's, it'll be interesting to see if they can achieve some kind of incredible synergy. The thing is, is I thought this game was going to have come out like years ago. I didn't realize that it was just getting into beta, but you can register for the beta. I registered. Thank you for the link. Yes. Yeah, so go and search it out if you are also interested as much. It's, it's the easiest beta registration of all time, too. You don't have to profile your computer or type in a gazillion questions. You just put in your email address, 
and then it sends you an email and you click on the email to confirm that you're a real person. Oh, that's easy. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Moving on to other areas of technology and the game world, pirating, Pirate Bay. Pirate Bay, yes, has come under attack from a denial of service. Some kind of denial of service attack from some anonymous. Yeah, but not anonymous. It's a distributed denial of service attack. They kind of think they're suspicious about who it is, but they have not. No one has stepped forward to claim responsibility. This is interesting because it falls right on the heels of the announcement from Microsoft that they're going to um, partner with this company or acquire this company that's got the the pirate pay idea, which is supposed to um, kind of, it sounds like a DOS attack. They basically screw up torrents with a variety of different means, you know, kind of intercept the traffic. Um, they prof- they show up as, I don't know all the nomenclature behind um, yeah. torrents because I don't do that, but it, they basically look like they have legitimate files, movies, whatever media you're trying to get. And then um, because it's just not right, it screws up and it fails horribly. You know, so these guys are supposed to um, be the next big thing for defeating all the BitTorrent aggregators. But this is a totally separate thing where people who we don't know who they are, it's not actually anonymous because they would take credit. And if, if anonymous did it, they would have just destroyed them outright. Yeah. But um, And I don't think they're motivated to do something like this because it kind of goes in the face of net neutrality and stuff. But um, whoever's doing it, they are totally screwing them up. The only way they're able to communicate <laughs> because they can't use their site is through Facebook updates. Um, and it's just, I think it's been going on for three days now. So pretty pretty messed up uh yeah I, w- I hope no one ever does that to channel massive because well boy you know what would people do <laughs> how would the world move on i don't know i'd be to be i can't i can't i don't even want to think about the impact to society <laughs> well something that's not going to have a positive impact is the second of two game of thrones games that has just seen release, published by Atlas, not developed by Atlas, though developed by Cyanide Studios, who previously came (laughs) up with a really creative and yet ultimately failed take on a strategy game for Game of Thrones that really involved politics and other things that aren't typical of strategy games. Well, Cyanide also went forward, uh, did not bite its pill. Yeah, I was going to say, take their own medicine. Worked with (laughs) George R. R. Martin hand-in-hand to develop a unique storyline that occurs during the Song of Ice and Fire timeline, but with brand new characters. And so it's a it's a console and I think PC video game that lets you star as new characters in the Song of Ice and Fire timeline. And we talked about this, I think, a few months ago, being surprised yeah. that it was coming out so quickly. and Surprised in a, oh, we don't believe it will be good way. Yeah, especially since the strategy game was just raked over the coals. And, well, lo and behold, Game of Thrones, the new video game, has a meta score over on Metacritic of 54 out of 100, which is a failure. Yeah, it's sad. I I was reading on Metacritic, you know, um, IGN put in this kind of interesting review, which says... It's a shame that most will not have the wherewithal 
to endure the 20 or so hours of bad game to get to the really juicy story moments. The twists that are thrown in are guaranteed to surprise. Unfortunately, you'll need to wade through an often ugly, buggy, and poorly delivered mess to get with them. Because I guess it does have some original writing from George R. R. Martin. Yeah, um, that's right. Mm-hmm. So that's like the that's the carrot in front of you. But the problem is nobody seems to be able to kind of weather the storm of crappy game uh, design and gameplay. And what's sad is it's not. It is possible to make a decent game based on this franchise because the board game, um, on like board game geeks, which they're very, I mean, they are very discerning. They're pretty critical, yeah. Uh, yeah, critical uh, players. It got like a 7.5 on there, and I think the second edition, or if you take into account the expansions, it's supposed to add a whole lot of value, and the second edition has all the expansions and they fix some other things. So, you know, it's definitely possible. But when you're just trying to, you know, cash in on that cash cow of, you know, the latest and greatest cool, you know, franchise, I think this is kind of what you deserve. So, you know, I I would really, I it's almost like it used to be the thing where any game that was based on Star Trek sucked. Yep. And then Elite Force came out and like totally broke that with the lowest of expectations. One yeah, of the because it's a first person shooter. It was one of the few games like of that genre that I played from beginning to end. It was know. really well done. It was well done. Um, it had everything. It had good story, good jumping puzzles, which a lot of people don't like. It had good, you know, FPS skill requirements. It was a nice combination. And then, and so, you know, it is possible to do that. But man, I'm just tired of this. It's, it's like we we called it the second we heard about these two titles. We called it, and you know. Hate to say I told you so, but we told you so. Yeah, I think we told you so here. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's really a case of cyanide, which has actually been around since 2000. It's based in France. I think the cyanide just bit off more than it could chew, and maybe had some good ideas, but really was not properly sized or experienced to take on a project like this, a licensed game no less, and deliver something like the next Batman Arkham game, for instance, to cite a licensed game that's really popular. I I believe, like you're saying, Mark, that if another company that was much more experienced with handling licensed properties and had a lot more resources, the game could have potentially been better. But I think one of the reasons why Cyanide got the contract is that it said, sure, George R.R. Martin, we'll do whatever you want with the story. Yeah, you can have total some other companies probably didn't offer that much leeway. Right. Oh, well. In other news, it appears that there is a new super powerful graphics engine on the horizon. Yeah, which we've heard about for quite some time. We've known that Epic Games has been working on the latest version of Unreal Engine. That is Unreal Engine for a majority of the games. Well, not I wouldn't say a majority, but many many of the games that we play on our consoles and PCs from the last five years run on Unreal Engine 3. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very, I don't know, prominent uh, game engine these days. It's I, I think most of the... I was surprised. I didn't realize when Unreal, uh, the original Unreal came out, that that was like always their design, was to, you know, they'd have they'd have their games that would kind of show off the the engine, but they were also going to make sure that everybody and their brother 
found it to be the most convenient way to get into, you know, the the game engine or game development genre was to use their engine. I I didn't really catch on to that, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, Me neither. But, but if you look at the titles powered by Unreal Technology, I think it far outstrips that of IDs engines. That have, I don't even know that they're trying that hard to you know license their engines. Um, you know, it seems like they dominate right now. Yeah, and they're trying to dominate across all sorts of platforms. I mean, they've made a big splash on iPhone with the. Gosh, I would Infinity. have never expected that. Yeah. Who would have thought that they would have gone for the mobile platform with, you know, you just think a 3D game engine is so heavy. And to think they pulled it off in that game, I, I can't remember the name of the game right now. Infinity um, Edge or Infinity Blade? Infinity Edge. Infin- yeah. It, it. I talked to a guy who played it all weekend on his iPhone. He had to keep it constantly charged so he could <laughs> play it. He couldn't pull because- himself away. He couldn't pull couldn't pull himself away, and he's like a you know hardcore console gamer, and he just said that game changed the way I think about mobile gaming and the platform and everything. Um, he said it's just as good as a console game. Wow. So the reason we're getting into all this talk about Unreal Engine Four is a really great story over at Wired, I believe. Yeah, basically raise the curtain on the presentations that Epic Games conducted at GDC earlier this year. Last year, we all got to see Unreal Engine 3's Project Samaritan, which looked like an incredible Blade Runner next-gen type of game, and it was just an update to Unreal Engine 3. Unreal Engine 4 is supposed to just blow Unreal Engine 3 out of the water. Accompanying this four-page article over on Wired that explains the development and the presentation of Unreal Engine 4 to major publishers and game developers. There's also a bunch of screenshots. And, of course, Cliff Fazinski from Epic, and has, he's, he has a kind of a penchant for colorful language and hyperbole at times because he's just one of those enthusiastic salespeople type of personalities. He went out and, and said that this was going to be absolutely amazing. So I was really excited to finally see these screens and summarily very quickly underwhelmed. Right. <laughs> because, As was I. Yeah. Well, and for you, you've been playing uh, a lot of PC games. I've been playing primarily console games aside from League of Legends, which, as I've said many a time, is no standard of graphics uh, superiority. Right. But I've seen some incredible game graphics in the Uncharted games and... Uh, let's see, Enslaved, other third-party titles. And whether or not these are running on Unreal Engine or not, I don't think that they all are. But there's been really great graphics, and there's there's great graphics and stuff that, to look forward to still, whether it's from Bioshock Infinite or Max Payne 3 or the new Tomb Raider, all really gorgeous games. And so I look at this, I'm like, this really isn't a huge step up from what I've I'm already seeing, and I recognize that developers have had years to really get their hands around Unreal Engine 3, and Unreal Engine 3 has had numerous upgrades over the years to make it even more powerful and capable. But when Cliff Blazinski goes out there and says, in order for next-gen consoles to be relevant, we need to, we, Epic Games, need to drag game developers and publishers and console makers into the next uh, generation, we need to tell them 
what the expectations should be. We don't need to let them, we don't, we shouldn't let them just arbitrarily set new benchmarks and hardware specs. We need to show them what they should achieve and we will want more than whatever they're going to provide. And so this is supposed to be, and another really good metaphor that he put out there, which I totally agree with is in order for next gen consoles to be relevant and successful, your everyday grandma or your mom who doesn't play games needs to look at a game running on that next-gen console and go, wow, that's really impressive. I can understand why you decided to shell out another 300 bucks for the PS4 or the Xbox 720 because I can totally see how much more improved these graphics are. You look at right. these screens over right. at Wire, that case is not made. No, mm-hmm. and I, I think the problem is, well, there's a couple of reasons why it's why there's a problem. We have seen for years and years and years um, images that are ray traced, right? So, you know, you look at like still shots from Avatar or something like that. And, you know, that's just so impressive because it takes forever to render each scene. But this is like a real-time engine rendering it, you know, in real time at 60 frames per second or whatever. And so still shots don't really tell the story or show off what it is. Also, it depends on what the art assets are in general. I mean, there's only like three or four colors, uh, you know, basic colors in the palette for this picture. I mean, of this like crazy Sauron-like berserker guy with a giant hammer. And it's, you know, it's it it's just kind of a victim of its own lack of, you know, art style, really. However, if you saw it in motion and you realized your computer was rendering it in real time, like some of the NVIDIA, um, you know, demos that they do yeah. to show off their cards, it would probably be a whole lot more impressive. But yeah, I have just... a feeling that's uh, half of it. Because the Samaritan demo, I saw that as a video, not as still screens. Although the still screens did look pretty damn impressive, too. Right. But these you know, still they're... screens are – there's. it's not to say that they're like, wow, this is it. I could totally see this on a PS3. There's really nice textures, the way that parts of the geometry are lit up by individual light sources are impressive. The little swirls of firefly-like sparks are cool. And there's a lot of really cool depth of focus where stuff that's really far away uh, or stuff that's not very far away at all, it's blurred out so that you focus on stuff that's closer in the foreground. There's some neat effects, but it's not like, oh my gosh, I am pre-ordering PS4 now for this. I I don't look at any of these screenshots and think they look any better than anything I've seen in Skyrim, and uh, and in fact some of the some of the things I've seen in Skyrim look a lot better. Yeah. So I think I think the engine is probably all that and a bag of chips, as they say, and I I do believe that they are trying to make an engine that could render Avatar in real time. Is yet another one of Cliff's things, but um, you know you need to have the whole package to really show this off, including actual video as opposed to just stills. So, yeah, and I, I probably part of it is that we're, we we have not Mark and I have not worked literally as developers using any of the Unreal engines. We are totally laypersons who cannot appreciate the subtle details and probably the huge amounts of efficiency improvements that this system will offer. And I bet it's something that Siren would be able to tell us. He'd be able to scold us and school us on why it's it's going to make games overall better. And as we've seen with Unreal Engine 3, as years go on, 
what initially was impressive can be made all the more impressive with later patches and upgrades and updates and stuff like that. This right. is just the beginning, but as a layperson, still not impressed. As yeah. a developer, I probably would be. I'd probably be like, wow, holy crap, I can't wait to use this. And if you read the text of the article and dive deeper than the screens, which I finally made myself do, you can kind of get more of the, the idea of why it's so cool. But the title of that story is like, why this is going to like rock your world. Not quite delivered. <laughs> now, before we end our intro, Geddon, it's not on the agenda, but I just want to mention one thing that did rock my world for years it seems now you know we've been making fun of my little pony dark apocalypse the, <laughs> yes uh, <clears throat> the game that never was but it should have been and then um in diablo 3 apparently their their response to all of the forum angst and just i mean just total hatred that spewed out of players when they saw some of the early um you know screenshots in the game it's rainbows it's all colors and it's all cartoony and it's horrible it's not it's lost everything it's going to be terrible well they made instead of a cow level they made what looks to be like a my little pony apocalypse (laughs) level where you just run around and destroy all these little horses and there's rainbows and clouds and in fact the island that you're running around on is like rainbow colored and the you know it looks like some hybrid between a game for the nintendo 64 and a my little pony cartoon but then the characters are rendered in their normal color and attire and look very sinister like they do not belong in this happy place anyway i can't wait to unlock that level because i guess it's kind of the easter egg but it it's really cool and you can find it on youtube and you know just look it up it's so funny that's a wrap for Intrigetum. We're now going to get next into some listener feedback. This episode of Channel Massive is sponsored by UGT Servers. When you order Ventrilo hosting from UGT, you get all of the powerful administration features hardcore gamers want and the ease of use that newbie gamers need. With 24-hour tech support, 13 locations worldwide, and a 15-day money-back guarantee, you'd be crazy not to check them out. Head to UGT-Servers.com for all of your Ventrilo hosting needs. For this episode's listener feedback, we're going to look at some comments from Military Scott on our last two episodes. First of all, he said in Diablo 3, he wants everybody to add him. But his handle yes. is actually not Military Scott in Diablo 3. It is Slain, S-L-A-Y-N-N. So Slain spelled with an, a Y instead of an I and two N's. I don't know if that'll work. We might have to get his um, battle Both. tag. Yeah, because with Diablo 3, you have your little uh, team like that, and then a hashtag, and then a bunch of numbers afterwards. I'll get that from him, and then put on the next episode, I guess. Yeah, otherwise, if you're very judicious and can figure that out on your own, more power to you. Yeah. In response to episode 197, League of Sexy Librarians. (laughs) The best title ever. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) He's like, I agree with Mark on Diablo 3's Real Money Auction House. 
Blizzard may be taking a big cut out of the transactions, but they aren't make they aren't taking any money from me that I would otherwise have. I don't go to those sites that sell items, so any money that I do make is profit for me. I'm going to play the game like I normally would, and if I make a couple bucks, then my MMO subscription fee will be a little bit lighter that month. I dig it, Military Scott. Well, thanks for writing in, Scott, and thanks even more for agreeing with me. I always like that. And listeners, I did make a point of talking to Ryan to get his opinion on this topic, and he had some really well-said reasons why he thinks that the auction house is really good. He doesn't think that Blizzard's going to try to manipulate the market and flood it with purple items or gold or anything like that. But unfortunately, I can't remember it precisely the way that he put it. So I would rather he come on to the show in the future and speak on that on his behalf versus rely on my really fuzzy memories from a couple weeks ago. Were you drinking? It's okay to admit it. It was at work, so yeah. No. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> As usual, <laughs> from your flask. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, Military Scott, for writing in your comments. Anybody else out there, if you want to send us some comments to us as we for our 200th episode, if you want to share your Diablo 3 impressions or your thoughts on some of the upcoming stuff we're going to talk about, particularly around MMOs no longer really facilitating the whole MMO aspect, maybe you have something that you want to say about Kingdoms of Amalur and 38 Studios, send all those thoughts into mail. M-A-I-L. At channelmassive.com. And also... We love your reviews over on iTunes. Please feel free to leave some reviews on iTunes about the show, what you think about it, its quality. Now that we're pretty darn regular, Mark, I feel that we can confidently say, review us on iTunes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that is true. And Please do. They'll have something nice to say. <laughs> yeah. <Be> gentle. <laughs> or we'll regret such yeah. solicitations. <laughs> Maybe the last time we ask for this. Next up, let's get into what we're playing. Well, this is my section to introduce, and so I shall. <laughs> I will. I will begin with what I've been playing, and then we will allow Noah to tell us what he's been up to. Um, so, you know, originally I thought I would talk about. You know, I've obviously been playing Star Wars Old Republic and then Diablo 3 launched. And so you would imagine that I probably would be just going on and on about my Diablo 3 impressions. But I think I actually would like to plea the fifth and, and take a little more time before I actually talk about my impressions. Just because I haven't had really that much time to play Diablo 3 yet. Right now I'm enjoying it immensely and I love it. And I think it's beautiful and the music's good. Oh, but yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's, I've cl connected with friends I haven't talked to for several years, which is good. And I, you know, it's definitely satisfying that, you know, gaping hole in my soul, which was left by you know, not having a Diablo game to play that was relevant for the last 10, 12 years. But I think I'd really rather like wait till next episode to talk about it more. Um, and it'll be better, too, because by then Noah will have had more time to play it. And we can compare and contrast our experiences. Um, so in Star Wars, The Old Republic, I got my main character maxed out. I've been playing my new Twi'lek, Jedi Knight, um, and that's been pretty fun. Um, but 
I think, you know, it's time I take a break from that and work on Diablo 3 and maybe work on uh, Mass Effect, um, the whole the whole darn trilogy. So I think I'm going to kind of lay low on, on the Old Republic, maybe play some more League of Legends, I don't know. Um, but I did really enjoy Star Wars Old Republic, and I do think it's a fine MMO. And I, I definitely, uh, if I were going to play an MMO right now it would be that one as opposed to getting back into wow or you know anything else um don't have any interest in terra or yeah you know, some of the others we talked about earlier i really just kind of like the way that one works i don't i don't know we'll talk more in our round table about the uh mmorpg genre in general but that's pretty much it for me right on over here <laughs> in my little on the other corner of Denver or chunk of Denver. I did get to play Diablo three tonight. My game only arrived today. So I only succeeded in installing it. And then Mark and I just started playing. It's like, Whoa, shouldn't we record the podcast (laughs) after about half an hour, but it's really great. And just the installation of the game was a pleasure to me because the acoustic guitar music just started up and I never played Diablo two, but that is the soundtrack from Diablo one, especially the music and the town Tristram, I think. Yeah. Uh, it, it just stuck with me. It was back when there wasn't, when, uh, at least authentically sounding, authentic sounding instruments were used. They weren't used a lot, uh, in game soundtracks, at least not that I heard, cause I was playing video game consoles a lot. So it was really synthy and to hear such rich acoustic guitar, coming right. and played with a, as a video game soundtrack. It just, and all that great voice acting and just the beautiful pixel graphics of that game. I just, that impression never left me. And you would have thought that I'd play Diablo two, but whatever, for whatever reason I didn't, I was playing other things, I'm sure. But just hearing that music during the installation process, which took forever, uh, was really cool. And I just, I just kept my headphones on because it's totally headphone worthy music. It and just is. And playing the game with headphones on is awesome, or at loud volumes. It just got it's so rich, and uh, I, I don't know. It's just they're in a different level. Yeah. And I was just looking it up, and you know, big shout out the um, soundtrack for the game um, Diablo two, and I think Diablo one two was composed by Matt Yulman. And my gosh, there's just such great stuff there. And the funny thing is, just from my years of friendship with Mark, something that I now think of whenever I hear acoustic guitar is Mark. <laughs> because uh, during well, so many episodes that we've recorded, when things get kind of slow or it's, you know, it's like uh, we're not really staying on task, Mark will pull out one of his several guitars and just start strumming away at something. And it's really cool because I don't have that skill. So it's something I really appreciate. So hmm. it's a double double uh, impact for me. <laughs> I can't think of <laughs> the words um you know while we're talking about this mark do you do you want to share gamer tag info for ourselves or do you want to wait until we get some more time and so and we're qualified players yeah um actually i'm not i don't know what my gamer tag is actually um i I can share what mine is at least if you want to find in the battle yeah let's line up real quick while you uh (laughs) stall for me (laughs) something that we discovered was that we knew our our friends' battle tags, you know, the common little screen names that everybody else was using. 
but we didn't want to use the email system because, you know, you can also invite a friend using email. And something else that kind of creeps me out is like Facebook. If you're connected with a friend on Facebook, it, it somehow sniffs that out as well and will auto suggest, hey, this friend of yours on Facebook also has oh, that's right. socialists. I'm like, wow, okay, well, that's cool. But in terms of doing a direct request for a friend, you have to include a hash mark and a string of numbers, three to four to whatever, uh, in your invitation. So for mine, big surprise, my battle.net tag, whatever the hell they call it, is a Kendor, which is pretty much what I use everywhere. Uh, and that's spelled A-K-I-N-D-O-R. Select the word akin. And then the letters D-O-R. So a Kendor, and then the magical numbers at the end, there's a hash mark, and the number is 978. So if you want to try sending me a friend request, just to warn you, since I've been, I, I, I'm still not that comfortable with playing the game because I don't know how to play it completely, I do have the whole quick join thing turned off. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm surprised and like stormed by people. You that... actually want some uh, experience with your game? Yeah. Well, Are you yeah, sure I... it's... Are you sure your hashtag is just three digits? Because um, everybody else's is four, usually starting with a one. That's what I'm not sure of. I mean, I'm going off of battle.net, but uh, I can do a double confirmation if you found your number. Yeah, so mine is C-O-M-A-R-K-M. M is in Mark. Uh, uh, hash uh, 1785. So okay. C-O is in Colorado, M-A-R-K-M, one, uh, hash, 1785 is mine. Okay. So that definitely sounds accurate for me. I just have to do a quick check to try to figure out where that is. Oh, okay, yeah, you're right. Oh, good. Okay. Okay. Something that's funny is the goal I've collected so far. <laughs> and we just stopped <laughs> at a random point, listeners, just to f- confirm this. I have collected 666 pieces of gold. <laughs> oh, how how appropriate to the game. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so strike what I told you earlier. It is still a Kendor, but my Diablo 3 magic numbers are hash 1647. So 1647, a Kendor hash 1647. Cool. You can add me that way from directly within Diablo 3. I'm, I'm guessing the other number must be a Battle.net to Battle.net type dealie. Yeah, I know. It's kind of wild. I... Yeah, Our, it's my cool. game kind of fluctuates. I'm not on too often, but hopefully I'll see some people soon. Yeah. Uh, as far as other games I've been playing, of course, I've been playing some console stuff when my buddy, my game buddy comes over. We finished Prince of Persia, the reimagining that launched near the beginning of Xbox 360's life cycle, the 2009-2008 version. It was really cool, and it has one of those endings that's like, wow, that's kind of crap. And, oh, convenient, uh-huh. there is a $10 epilogue DLC oh, yeah. that continues the story. So started that. Also, Sony's Pixel Junk games, all of them were on sale earlier this week and last week. So I got Pixel Junk Racer and Pixel Junk Monsters and Pixel Junk Shooter for a buck each, was a re- which was a really great deal. Racer is basically... Um, the whole it's a slot car racer and you don't have to worry about uh steering you can just change lanes and you just try to get in front of other cars and it's just you see the whole track at once and it's pretty manic shooter is like uh an old school atari side scrolling 
space shooter where you move around all over the screen up and down. It's not three-dimensional. It's a, it's side-scrolling, but you go through giant caves and shoot up environments, and you kind of choplifter style, use a little grappling hook to rescue people that are stuck in the caves from aliens. Oh, that's cool. Pixel it's Junk cool. Racer looks like one of my favorite old-school arcade games. That looks really cool. Yeah, it's, it's 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 manic but fun. And what's impressive about that one is that it's got like 50 different ways to play it. There's all these different objectives. Like one's like blow up this many cars. Another one's like uh, ram this many cars. Oh, that well, that doesn't sound very different. But there's very distinctly different goals, ways that you can play the game. Uh, shooter school in that it allows you to have two players at once. And monster oh, wow. school because it's a tower defense game, and we all know that. Mark and I love tower defense games. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's, that's cool. Really well done. So all great games. Hopefully, if you've already – if you haven't gotten them, you, you'll give them a try. They're not too expensive even when they're not on sale. Last but not least, I also downloaded my first, uh, I think, PS1 game via the PSN. It's a game that I already own, <laughs> uh-huh. disc, on the original PlayStation. But I'm like, oh, it would be cool to – you know, finally play through this game that I actually never finished, never got very far into, and that's Final Fantasy IX. I have not played through all of them, as it turns out. I only got like an hour into it, maybe an hour and a half, and then I abandoned it, as I've done with many RPGs over the years. And it was kind of cool. It's it's really weird to go back to a game, and I'm, no, I'm not sure, Mark, if you did this with Diablo 2 or 1 recently, but to go back to a game that you have a lot of nostalgia for and to be put into a, a much older graphics engine that's really, really pixelated and really, really stretched. Oh, yeah. I can only imagine. And, like, the cinemas, Final Fantasy, since number seven, has had incredible cinemas. And it's, like, I don't know, 240 by 100. It's, like, really low. Yeah. And I remember being so stunned by these CG cinemas that were filmed and really, they were recorded in really low-resolution you know, 10, 12 years ago. And I remember like showing my mom, like, watch this intro. It's so cool. And it's like, now I watched, I'm like, wow, that's really chunky. How could I even make out the birds flying through the sky in this? <laughs> it's oh, yeah. But, but the art direction is awesome on it. I mean, it's, even though it's limited, it's just great colors. and Yeah, really yeah. Pretty. That's what we appreciate about those games that have, that were so artistically stunning back then, and they definitely had really good art direction. They just didn't have quite the technology or the screen resolution to right. communicate that. But it's just like you can still see it, and like, oh wow, that's pretty neat. I did not get to play any Xenoblade or Mass Effect Two, but that's because it was Mother's Day weekend, and weekends are my RPG time, and I just didn't have time during then with the holiday to do that. So oh right, soon I'll have more to talk about that and Devil Three. Just like Mark next week. Cool. Well, that tell us, yeah. What do you think of Diablo Three? I'm sure that they'll have plenty of stories to tell us. Oh you... yeah, and we'll include that in next week's show as well. No matter gain or grain, it's those tiny little I'm not sure if Mark has anything to surprise me with. I don't have too many. I, I don't have a lot to throw into the general geekery section of the show this week. But I have started reading Ready Player One, and I had to share my impressions because I had known about the book long before Jeff Blanco, one of our co-hosts of the best, had started incredibly campaigning 
for all of us. <laughs> he did. And then Mark read it and proceeded to join the campaign. I'm like, I know about this damn book already. I will read it when I get to it. And so finally I got through my previous books and it's like, all right, cool. I'm going to read this, especially since there's an autograph session coming up, which could be really cool. Heck yeah. And please, <laughs> the, the problem with any type of entertainment that gets a lot of good reviews is that you get your expectations really high. And that this Avengers may suck to some people because they've heard nothing but great things and they go and see it and like, wow, that didn't change my life. And that's kind <laughs> of feel right now about, about ready player one. And I think part of it is because the author of the book, this is like his first book. He's right. done other stuff, but this is his first official novel. And just right off the bat in the first two pages, there's some really craptacular metaphors let me see if I can remember uh, or sayings that he put in there. Like one of them was, and I think this is a way to like uh, communicate snarkiness and sarcasm and hips, hipness, not hipsterism, but hipness. And there's like some kind of throw off remark about like, Oh yeah. So things are like crazy and cities are disappearing in mushroom clouds and like quote unquote cats living with dogs. Isn't that crazy? And I'm like, this is stupid. Like I could <laughs> and then like on the next page, you didn't like, think of the Ghostbusters reference there. No, well, I did. Well, I just took their face value. There's okay. And then the next one, you, <laughs> I I am younger than you are, so I don't have <laughs> stuff. You have a better memory than me too. Dogs and cats living together, it's mass chaos. And then the next page, it was uh, what's really had people crapping in their cornflakes. I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and I don't know if it's supposed to be an 80s reference or anything, but it wasn't it funny. Is. It was just, is it? Yeah, um, I'm trying to look it up right now. I think I sounds. It was just stupid, <laughs> bluntly. And but th that said, once it got into talking about this um, video will, so to speak and describing how it's put together. And then there's all these little footnotes that spell out the 80s references or reveal that things that are in this video are actually 80s references and these are what they are. It was like kind of cool and it made me wish like, wow, I should go and look up that random song that he's referencing from the 80s or right. look up or, or it makes me want to watch Heathers again or a John Hughes movie that are clearly being referenced here. And it's like, wow, that's kind of cool to go to get taken back. And, and this whole quest this these objectives that are laid out for people to fulfill in order to obtain this dead guy's money. I'm sure it's going to be really cool. It's just, it was a little bit disarming at first to see stuff in here that when you don't know the reference just comes off as like amateur blog crap. And uh, fortunately Mark is here <laughs> to tell me when things are actually cool little 80s references that totally went over my head versus crap writing uh, <laughs> crap writing yeah but it's there's no doubt what i think is cool is that he's clearly put the author's clearly put a lot of effort into cramming as many little random obscure 80s ideas and i mean i don't think a page goes by where there's not something in there which is right. really neat especially if you are old enough and have a sharp enough memory to remember these items it makes it really cool yeah, I mean, I don't want to. I, I wouldn't want to, you know, go out on a limb to to defend, you know, the the writing style. And I I personally don't think the book picks up. I I think it it starts out a little slow, 
but it's, you know, background information and kind of uh, establishing his geek cred or whatever, or his 80s, I lived in the 80s cred. Um, by chapter three, though, I think if you if you get if you get through chapter three and you put the book down and say, I just can't take this anymore, then it, it's, you know, clearly not the book for you, nor is probably anything that happened between 1980 and 19 in the year 2000. <laughs> so, um, but, but, but if it like, if you, if you get through chapter three, I think it becomes just a roller coaster. And the next thing you know, you're done and you're like, wow, that was cool. So, Right on. So, I don't know. That's how I remember it anyway. Um, we will see as as I slowly progress through this book, inevitably much slower than Jeff or Mark did. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I think, yeah, Bob read it too. Um, he was telling me. so. But uh, yeah, it went really quick for me. Um, right on. So I look forward to being turned into a believer because the, the same experience happened with me, not the exact same experience with Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. It started off, I'm like, this is kind of cheesy. But then it got really good, and just like an RPG, sometimes things start out kind of crappy, but you put more time into it, and it's like, oh my gosh, this is one of my favorite things of all time. So right, I'm right. that's what happens here, and hopefully I get through it before the author's in town in case <laughs> it's as awesome as you guys have told me. Right. For our roundtable virtual roundtable discussion segment this evening round virtual because we're in separate locations fortified bunkers in different parts of town just in case an attack <laughs> um um from a, a a website called diehard game fan there's an interesting article called digital tabletop you forgot the mmo to go with that rpg by ash collins and the writer kind of says he had an epiphany this weekend while playing long hours of Dungeons and Dragons online with his wife, interspersed with Guild Wars, um, Terra, Mass Effect 3, and some Star Wars Old Republic. Like, I'm amazed by the breadth of his playing. <laughs> Just over though. a weekend, and with his wife, no less. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm mine jealous. Would be like, yeah, I would be like, well, my wife and I played... Plants versus zombies separately while, you know, making fun of each other or something, but, you know, not. <laughs> but anyway, so he was talking about how he, he hopped on the free-to-play bandwagon when Dungeons & Dragons um, went that route, and he loved it. And he thought that it achieved a lot of the aspects that made an MMORPG great. And he talks about, you know, several other games and how they how they kind of made it work where you had to play with other players. That's the MMO part of the MMORPG. Um, you, you know, you couldn't just progress through the game doing everything single player. The game wasn't tailored for single player. It was in fact, ta t um, it was in fact designed for um, groups of players, you know, achieving goals, working through quests, um, you know, kind of like that whole virtual it basically, it was like, I think what he's saying is what appealed to him was it felt like Dungeons & Dragons where you had the virtual dungeon master being the game, but you were sitting there playing it with, you know, companions, real human companions. Um, he compares that and contrasts a little bit with Star Trek Online, which had its own similar kind of way of playing it. With dynamic drop-in and drop-out people. Yeah, which is kind of an interesting way to do it. And then he starts to compare and contrast that with Star Wars Old Republic and Terra, which 
um, are different in that you can pretty much play the game, especially Star Wars Old Republic, you can play it pretty much completely single player without ever getting help. You can elect not to do any of the group missions or any of the flashpoints. You can elect not to do PvP. And you can progress from level 1 to 50 and get through your entire storyline without ever teaming up with another human being. And in fact, you have these companions to help you do that whose you know, strengths counteract your weaknesses and vice versa. Um, and so in effect, you're playing a single-player game online with a bunch of other people who are all playing it alongside with you but not with you. Yeah. And he says something has been lost here, basically especially when you consider that Terra and Star Wars Old Republic are kind of the future of the genre, or at least the heirs apparent, it would appear. Um, what happened where, what happened to make developers change the focus of these games from MMO to pure RPG with certain elements that are multiplayer? And, you know, is this a problem? Well, to him it is. Um, and then he... Yeah, oh, I think for him he thinks it's a problem because... Once you get to those high-level areas where in Dungeons & Dragons Online, Free-to-Play, and Star Trek Online, you really need to lean on other people. When you get to the high-level areas, when you get to the, what is it, the endgame content for right. Star Wars, it's like everybody's so used to playing by themselves that nobody even wants to help you out. And, and they may not don't. be built that way either. Their characters might be made for you know, a self-contained single player experience and they don't, you can't tank well if you're super well-rounded maybe, you know, yeah, you can't do DPS very well or do crowd control. And it's a great point. And it's funny. And I, I mentioned this earlier that, you know, people used to complain that there was no RPG in MMORPG. Now here comes an article years later saying now there's no MMO in our MMORPG, you know, where, where do you find, you know, total bliss here? And, you know, he says that, um, you know, some games have achieved it, but others, and especially the newer ones seem to be, you know, because, and he, and he says too, that these games and the direction they're going, we're, we are a victim of our own kind of demands being heard and acknowledged by the developers and that they are saying, yeah, this is what you want. This is the game we're going to make for you, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I think it's kind of that whole, be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. And even I have said, I think a game should be able to be played, you know, entirely by yourself if you wanted to. But I find too, I kind of agree with him. There's some of my most memorable um, MMO experiences or just even multiplayer game experiences, um, you know, that could be played as single player or whatever. They really do involve playing with somebody else, at least one other person and experiencing something together. And, you know, I love it when somebody has a class that's a hard class that's, and by hard, I mean, it's not a hybrid. It's specialized in one direction or the other, and it's not, super well balanced and able to be a jack of all trades and survive in any situation and, you know, adapt. I like it when you play a rogue that man, if they sneak up on you, they will, you know, kill you literally one shot you, but they can't take any damage. And I like it when you play a mage that has to stay the hell back because if they get too close to the action, they'll die. And I like tanks that are really tanks. You know, I think that that's, what's fun is is figuring out how to play as a team and how to yeah. how to you know 
you know, make up for the weaknesses of your of your teammates and how to, you know, somebody takes a leadership role and figures out, you know, how to, you know, figures out the tactics for the encounter. I enjoy that. And I think that's like a big part of it. And I kind of agree with them that a lot of that's been lost, but I was one of the people that said, Hey, I'd, I'd like to be able to play this all by myself. Sometimes, sometimes I don't feel social, but when I think about it, most of my most memorable experiences weren't, going through the single player storyline, but it was some kind of emergent type almost behavior, be it, you know, world PVP with my friend Phil, where we were, you know, relentlessly yeah. hunting somebody who ganked one of us for hours and hours um, in, uh, you know, in World of Warcraft, or if it was, you know, back in the days of um, Ashron's Call 2, trying to lure people across this little line that would flag them for PVP and then hitting them with a shield, which would stun them. And then eight people like jumping them all of a sudden, you know, taunting mm. people into crossing that imaginary line, things like that. Those are the experiences I'll never forget. Well, as I will surely forget, you know, my entire um, star Wars, the old Republic one to 50 single player storyline for the Sith warrior, you know? So I have to agree with them. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Noah? Do you, uh, does this ring true to you, or do you think ah, it's probably just a good balance? I I definitely think that it's probably one of the reasons that led to me not playing RPGs much at all. Mm-hmm. Because when when we started playing it, when we started playing them, they were fun for what they were, but I didn't really feel like, especially as even a joke was made out of skipping past lore. I didn't think I was really getting any lore from it. And there definitely wasn't any role playing unless you went to an explicit role playing service server because everybody's just like, Hey, what's going on? Did you see American Idol tonight or whatever? You know, just talking about random yeah. crap or getting into debates, comparing one game to another. Yeah. And it's just like crap that it's, it's stuff I'm interested in, but it's not necessarily what I got into the game world for, but it's like, it's a glorified chat room with, something else to do on the side to keep you busy, but nothing that's really interesting from a gameplay perspective either. So for me, it fell short in both areas because I felt that I enjoyed gameplay mechanics and single player games, whether action or RPG more than what I got in MMOs and role playing wise and story wise, I got better experiences in single player games versus in MMOs. Mm-hmm. And so unless we were doing group game nights or getting together or or teaming up with listeners it just wasn't that fulfilling for me and it just kind of turned me off from rpgs altogether i just kind of lost all interest and i'd like the point that this ash guy makes in that um if i'm really not getting that much out of this game or if i'm having to play it if i'm playing an mmo rpg as a single-player RPG, why the hell am I doing this? Why am I buying a game and then paying 15 bucks a month exactly. to play this when I could get just as great, if not a better experience, playing a true single-player RPG, such as right. Mass Effect or Dragon Age or something else like that. And I also liked how he pointed out that Mass Effect 3 has a big multiplayer mode that's added into it, and this particular author not only put 35 hours into the main campaign, but another 80 hours into the multiplayer. So I guess he liked it. Yeah, but to him, he's like, like, that's kind of like an MMO. 
that's maybe almost yeah. his ideal MMO and that he got a really great single player experience and then exclusive of that he got the multiplayer experience and he didn't have to pay a monthly subscription fee for it. Right. So ultimately he's gone back to DDO which Dungeons Dragons Online because for him and his wife that's the only game that MMO wise really scratches their itch of wanting to feel like they're role playing just like in the old tabletop D&D right. where you can't where not every character is really well rounded and specialized and can always every single person can save the group no matter what there's people that are really weak and there's people that are specialists that this single player theme park focus that World of Warcraft introduced and has proven economically successful so you can't ding them for it but it's just really taken some of the magic out of it that some people or the expectations that people would have for these types of games yeah which I yeah, I can't argue with them. At first when I read it, I was like, oh, I don't know about this. But yeah, you know, he makes some really good points. But that's not going to stop you from enjoying your single-player RPGs and your massively multiplayer online RPGs. No, and it's funny, too. When I think about MMOs, like, and I listed some of those experiences, one of the ones I left out was the uh, the infamous one with you and me in, uh, in the, uh, the Ziggurat in uh, World of Warcraft, <laughs> the hot yeah. tub. Where we yeah. were like we're just being silly and screwing around and like oh this crazy green slime looks like it'd be a fine hot tub and then like having everything respawn and we had to run out and that was like you know pure oh, PVE yeah but it was hilarious and it was, it was something we made out of that world you know and I you know I I really dug that I just I like it when you know you have people to play with that have a sense of humor and you're you're kind of playing the game, but you're playing a meta game too, where you're just hanging out and you're having fun, and you're not you don't get levels for that. It's just real entertainment value, and you know I think I think I I think sadly that that was way more fulfilling for us than when we got like our groups together to play um, uh, Age of Conan, which I thought was kind of a real downer for me. Yeah, and I and nothing against Age of Conan, it was just that world wasn't as conducive to having just, you know, kind of off the cuff fun. And, and <laughs> it was more dangerous, I guess. I don't know what it was, but yeah, you, you had know, to really so. stay on task and yeah, the gameplay was definitely novel. The combat was novel enough to draw us in and maintain our interest for a while. But like you said, eventually that sheen wears off on some elements and what's left behind if it doesn't support that spontaneity or if the community doesn't support that spontaneity, you're left with a really hollow experience again. Yeah. And we used to have a lot of fun with city of heroes, which I think encouraged a lot more creativity than most games because of the whole character design element to it. And, uh, you know, with the, the costume and everything, oh, yeah. all, the, all the stuff that kept coming out to make your characters more and more personalized and just all the goofy things we would do at that when we do our like you know all all Saturday day and night game sessions with a group of us and how yeah. much fun we had, you know things like that. Those those are my way more memorable, fun times playing that that particular game was when all of us were playing together, than just when I would go in and try and grind out some levels in the, you know in this or that zone or whatever. So, I I think he's got a great point. I think with a lot of the a lot of the new models that are coming out and you know Guild War 2 Guild Wars 2 will be really interesting to see how they pull it off. Um 
you know, sometimes the the lines of distinction between in, what's an MMO and what's a multiplayer game with RPG elements are are, are becoming very much blurred. And so mm-hmm. Diablo 3 will be interesting to see as well. Um, yeah. Because, you know, much like an MMO, you level up and you can play cooperatively as we've already done this evening. So, you know, I, is, is it an MMO? I'll, I don't, I would never think of it that way, but this new version of it definitely has a lot of the aspects of it. So, you know, we'll see how that works out. Yeah. But I don't know. Great article. Glad you found it. That was a really good one. Oh, thank you. And thank you to all the listeners out there who are still subscribing and listening to us. We'd love to hear from you. We hope you like this show and we're hoping to do something kind of fun. Nothing overly fancy. For next Four times the firepower of episode 50. <laughs> no! They By that I mean we'll just loop episode 54 times for episode <laughs> that was Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> but yeah, we will be back next week, and we hope those of you who are out there playing Diablo 3 are having a great time, and maybe we'll see you very soon. Yep. In that world. Until then. Adieu.